Hey, uh, welcome to Broken Shovel Homestead. Oh my goodness, there it is. <laughs> Anybody that's been listening to the show, this is amazing. It's finally new again. <laughs> welcome to Broken Shovel Homesteading. <laughs> sustainable future uh date of release for this episode will be 11:14. statistics are current to that and today's topic is hunting and uh, we'll get into the topic here in just a second but hey eric how are you i am i am right now i am out from work <laughs> yeah. we had a we had a hell of a week at work and i just i crashed this weekend and <laughs> it started on friday and i've just been I've been out of it. I'm like I've been playing video games, relaxing. I actually clean. I did clean my kitchen. That's something I there did. There you I go. Okay. Kitchen. There you go. Yeah, I'm pretty burnt out too. But we'll talk about that more at the end of the show. And yes. if you're watching on YouTube, we'll talk about my hat a little bit towards the end of the show potentially. Um, uh, but yes, hunting, Eric. Uh, hunting. You want to get us started yeah. here? Hunting and really conservation because you really you can't talk about. And especially in Vermont, you can't talk about hunting without talking about conservation because hunting brought about Vermont conservation and conservation sets the rules for modern hunting. Okay. Uh, and but we are talking specifically about Vermont for the most part here, I think. Yes. Yes. Okay. We are not going to talk about other states because I honestly, I thought about talking about other states, but then I got into like the history of Vermont hunting and whatnot and the, not even just hunting, but the trapping and agricultural, um, more husbandry needs that, uh, facilitated, uh, the, the current, well, 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 we'll get, we'll get into that. Let's start yeah, with let's, the definition. Yeah, so the definition of hunting. Yes, yeah, so it's the activity of tracking and, and then if the Google get definition actually used the activity of tracking and hunting wild animals. So it's like you can't use the word you're defining in the definition. <laughs> so I changed it to the activity of tracking and killing wild animals or game for food or sport. Okay, um, and we are, I, I believe that foraging is uh, coupled with hunting, but we'll talk more about that later yes. on. Uh, so yeah, do you want to get us started with the history of hunting in Vermont? Yeah. So the history started back way back in the 1600s, more with uh, the fur trade, with beavers and bobcats being the two primary trapped animals um, which started the the great the Vermont, great Vermont extinction is what I'm going to call it. Okay. Because uh, we they trapped and and hunted beavers to the point that the beaver population was gone. There was no beavers in Vermont. Now, did, also, yeah. Was this part of the airdropped beavers in the 50s? Have are you aware of this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Airdropped beavers, among other things, which actually I'll get into. Uh, get into later about the how how they reintroduced species into vermont because um most of your hunted species and big larger game was completely eliminated from the state of vermont that's upsetting yes it was very upsetting because they uh a combination of uh over hunting over trapping um also uh the big uh husbandry thing back then was sheep in Vermont. 
Right. And sheep don't like woods. So they clear-cut Vermont, which we've also talked about in the past on the show, because Vermont would build Boston and New York, among other right. states that basically... And we had... We were down to 35% of forest left in Vermont. Very so similar between, in the Adirondacks, too, I think. Yes, uh, very similar. The Adirondacks, actually, you can tell that they did less conservation and recovery because you can still see a lot of their mountains are are pretty pretty sparse. Yes. All right, but all because right. of the, uh, the deforestation, the overhunting, uh, because of sheep, uh, they, sheep have lots of predators. So there is actually the the original Vermont Game Association and government actually would set had bounties on lynx, wolf, and catamounts, um, and eliminated all three species from the state. With the last catamount being shot in 1881, which is also famously mounted at the Vermont Historical Society in Montpelier. Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> is that the goofy looking one? Yes, that's the goofy looking one. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, uh, does this move into the conservation portion of the show? Yeah, because, I mean, basically we had, like, did you know caribou and elk used to be in Vermont? I did not know that. Yep, caribou and elk used to be in the in Vermont. Also, wolves used to be in Vermont. That um, I know. All of them were basically, so... All the species I got that were pretty much extinct in Vermont, caribou, elk, turkey, like turkeys were completely hunted to extinction before the Civil War. There were no turkeys after the Civil War, which a lot of the other species, that's about the time that conservation efforts started because we lost deer, moose, bear, otter, lynx, wolf, uh, the osprey, uh, bald eagles, uh, an unknown number of uh, the the what do they call the herp species like reptiles amphibians and stuff also small birds a lot and that were just we don't know how much was actually lost wow that is yep. devastating it is but we had in the tw early 20th century they uh, actually the the changing market like the reduced wool trade, the industrial revolution actually allowed Vermont to start recovering its forests because the people that used to cut down the land for their sheep farms, A, would go to uh, the factory jobs or to greener pastures in other states that had better agricultural uh, availability. Okay. So they were able to move into other industries successfully, yep, which, uh, which helped... The, the planet i love the uh the one for one here when we're talking about coal and solar um <laughs> they say it's just not possible to stop coal because all these people will be out of a job when they could just transition to another industry yeah um, so. they don't like but they don't like they, that's that's against their if they're gonna take our jobs <laughs> It's like it, it's true because they they we, the even with Obama they started peace he made programs that said we will train you on the electrical and solar installation work but the coal country West Virginia Virginia Pennsylvania act, rejected his offers yeah oh, it's but tradition 
Yes, That's neither here nor there. I just uh, kind of had to throw my two cents in. Um, yes. <laughs> we yep. do try to steer clear from politics, although I think our politics are very clear. Yes, they uh, are. Um, so, else? yeah, and then um, after the post-Civil War, uh, which also is another factor in allowing Vermont to start cons conserving, is so many people left to go fight in the Civil War and didn't come back. So our, the Vermont population also declined. Okay, jeez. All right, which which of course allows uh, the the uh, in, inflow of wildlife. Is yes, that... the inflow of wildlife, but a lot of wildlife because people don't realize Vermont's actually an island. It's very hard for wildlife to get into the state because we are bordered by the Connecticut River, which is a fast flowing river. It didn't have back then a lot of dams on it, so it was a Long, really fast moving river. river. Yeah. Yep. So animals were not couldn't easily cross that, and then the other side we have the Sh Lake Champlain. So it's yep. hard for species to get back in once they were driven out. And if if nobody is familiar with the uh, geography of Vermont, the Connecticut River is our eastern border, and our western border is with New York and uh, it's New a York lake. State, and uh, a very very large lake uh, could sometimes puts up for a great lake but uh yeah, it's the, set, it's the unofficial last set was seventh great lake yeah uh but yeah so surrounded by a lot of water and um some pretty intense mountains uh yep. to the north and south uh so but yep. uh, so because yeah. of that uh they had to so they imported deer from uh new york they to start with they imported 17 deer from new york okay. into southern vermont and those 17 deer are what repopulated the deer population in the entire state. That's amazing. Yep. And then in, that was in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. uh, then the next species they did, uh, they officially actually uh, created the fishing game, game, uh, game department, which then reintroduced beaver, beavers in the 1920s. So prior to the 1920s, there were no beavers here. Which oh, wow. since then... Beavers have now, um, now obviously come into a lot of conflict with humans because they tend to dam areas up. And then uh, a lot of people moved into areas during the 1800s that had previously been underwater and marshland because of beavers. But because beavers were hunted to extinction, these areas dried up and people built in them. Yeah. Then when they started reintroducing beavers to the environment... Where did the beavers go? They went right back to those old streams and stuff and tried to dam them back up and then started conflicting with humans, uh, creating this whole, even the currently, it is very hard for people to leave beaver dams alone. Uh, even just this year, 2023, uh, we are just seeing beavers show back up in England, mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom, uh, which was a pretty yep. cool news story I came across in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yes, they were, the beavers were really, beavers minks otters lynx bobcats all were vi were just devastated by the fur trade yeah they were highly sought after and uh, and just for a little bit of uh grossness for everybody uh the uh the beaver uh there's a set of glands in their anus uh that were used to provide vanilla flavoring yeah. Um, oh yeah, I remember reading of that one. That was just yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, who knows uh, what that sort of impact had on beavers, but. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but all right, and, so we have more species. Uh, so uh, the Canadian geese were reintroduced in the in '56. They um, they set up nests along the Champlain Valley, uh, and since uh, we now get nesting Canadian geese species to the chagrin of some Vermonters because Canadian geese are mean. <laughs> They are very mean. <laughs> they're mean, they're aggressive, they poop a lot. <laughs> yeah. I do like watching them uh, migrate, though. Uh, yes, and I remember seeing, like, in like seeing the big flocks that we see now, you didn't see prior to the 70s, which also, like, 70s, they banned DDT, which right. helped all the bird populations recover, less ospreys and others, loons. Loons were reintroduced because, uh, due to after the ba uh, banning of DDT. Uh, in 69, turkeys were brought back in from Maine. I get so many turkeys over here. Oh, they, well, turkeys really, they boomed very, very quickly because they are very, they are a very prolific species. They mean, yeah. if a small flock of turkeys will have upwards of 20 or 30 babies every year. Yeah. And, and they're just, and there, there are not a lot of predators left in the state. Yeah. Predators are just barely really coming back. Like, uh, fishers were brought in uh, to help with the porcupine population because porcupines were not necessarily a native, but were considered an invasive. Right. And so they had fishers brought in, which excuse me, the fisher cats, which is a weasel type predator. It's vicious. Vicious. Oh, they're mean. They are really mean. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, the most, most recent species that's been reintroduced is in 89, uh, Martins were reintroduced, which is a type of weasel. Okay. And just fairly recently, they've started seeing, they were actually worried that they, the Martins they brought in from Maine, um, didn't take and didn't actually, uh, integrate well, but they're just so, uh, such a secretive and kind of, they're under the leaves a lot. Um, so they just, like, they actually, the population has actually been thriving unbeknownst to scientists that are just barely starting to see them show up on game cameras. I, I have a family of weasels that lives in my basement. We're, we allow it. It's no big oh, deal because yeah. they keep our pest population down. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Do you know how to tell the difference between a weasel and a stoat? No, how do you tell? Well, uh, uh, a weasel, it, one is weaselly recognizable and the other is totally different <laughs> and you get on to me my dad jokes that that is actually yeah. meg's favorite joke to tell nice. it is yeah so uh yep. so a little shout out to the uh the old wifey here yes um so yeah and then um so by the uh so going back to early 1900s was when fishing game really started uh really taking taking root and doing more uh issuing the first very first hunting license in 1908 uh for 50 cents oh that's that's a good deal yeah <laughs> and then um because and then vermont and then fishing game and the issuing of uh licenses taxes on boat fuels uh registration of boats rifles etc have what been, has what is allowed fun fishing game to do so much conservation efforts? 
Yeah, and a lot of the reporting, and I'll talk about this in statistics, but uh, a lot of the reporting is very necessary to help in conservation efforts. Yes. It's, it's, it is yep. so important. Even if you do not get anything, it is important to report that you got nothing. Yep. Uh, so, and what you yep. were hunting for and where, and, and that information is used uh, it, to help uh, not only control populations, but encourage populations. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, one of the big things is like the, uh, this is on, on a national slash global level, is the, the reduction and slash banning of wild game markets is actually what was one of the major driving forces of stopping so much hunting for and trapping for commercialism. Yeah. Which there is still like a, like certain fur trading is actually still year round able to be done across in certain parts of the country, including Vermont, actually, because huh. uh, the fur trade is still very active in both uh, the United States and Canada, less so much exporting overseas now, more just like within internal, because we all know the fur, the fur trade market is or for the fur coats and rich people. It's a status symbol for them. Right, right. Um there's a woman uh, living nearby. I, I don't know her, but uh, she was out walking down the road, and she very clearly had a homemade rabbit pelt vest on. And I was like, that person is making a statement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they're probably really warm. So. Yeah. so, and then just to get right before we go into statistics, uh, so Vermont is the second highest per capita behind Alaska for number of individuals who participate in hunting, fishing, trapping. But that not those num that is in the decline, which is very concerning for fish and game and conservatorships because without the money from the hunting and fishing licenses and et cetera, on the ESSEC ammo taxes and whatnot, it funds the conservation efforts, and without that money, uh, Fish and Game is worried they're not going to have enough money coming in to continue funding what is needed to be conserving because uh, the population sprawl is actually causing uh, conservation efforts to go backwards now. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're actually we're starting to lose populations again because uh, a lot of animals don't have... Um, there's not a lot of wildlife corridors in Vermont anymore, which right. are like just straight tracts of land uninterrupted by roads, houses, power lines, any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, and if you don't mind, before we get into statistics, I'm actually going to talk a bit about foraging. Alternate hunting is kind of how I, I presented it to Eric. Yes. Um, you know, this is something I participate a lot more in than actual hunting. Uh, I am learning the, the trade of trapping, but um, self-taught, so I it's slow learning. <laughs> um, but I wanted to talk about Vermont and foraging because uh, there is – there's a – over 1,000 edible wild plants and mushrooms found in in Vermont, and they require uh, a, a very similar level of skill, knowledge, and um, tenacity as as hunting itself uh, to find. The economic impact of foraging generates about 10 million in economic activity in Vermont each year, um, and 
you know, popularity of foraging is growing. It is um, growing to to the de detriment of certain species, like right. uh, wild ferns. Like we in Fiddle the spring heads. fishing game has been announcing, stop completely destroying fern bulbs yep. because you are gonna you are actually going to prevent uh, the the ferns from growing enough to repopulate uh, to where we're gonna not have fiddleheads anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's very important. And in the spring, you know, there's a real run for fiddleheads uh, and ramps, um, mm -hmm. which has a very similar thing. Uh, but also wild leeks and morels uh, are, are out there. And um, it's very important that when you are doing this for conservation, you know, it is important for conservation that when you are doing this, you only take a very small amount yeah. of it. Um, 10 to 25 percent is what I've heard. Yes, that is what I have in front of me. Um, and one thing that Meg and I do when we pick mushrooms is we do we have this very fine mesh bag. We don't put them into like a waxed bag or anything like that because they are still releasing spores. They are as you're walking through the woods, you are if you're using a, a, a mesh bag, you are encouraging them to throughout an area as you continue to hunt. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it is important to um, to think about preserving these because these are a food, um, yep. you know, because then in the summer you get into chanterelles, black trumpets, blueberries, raspberries and blackberries. Now, we know the berries are going to be fine, but the chanterelles and the black trumpets, 10 to 25 percent. That way you get to enjoy them and get to enjoy them in the future yes. because i'll tell you my chanterelle spots every year they're getting a little bit bigger and i'm getting a little bit more so it's uh, you know I, I i can't remember i think we've got close to 20 pounds of chanterelles in one run and nice. we barely picked you know so it's just it's one of those things it's it's about conservation by by being patient and restrictive of yourself yep um i you know, so for us, we forage wildflowers, uh, which is uh, for pressing and, and things like that. We harvest dye plants. We, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, we will harvest reeds and grasses for basket weaving, uh, mushrooms. We do mostly shants and morels, and I talk a little bit more about that on my TikTok uh, in depth from time to time when we're hunting. So if you're interested in that, check out Broken Shovel Farm. Um, and even just today, we were out foraging for sticks for broom making handles. Uh, so, and it's one of those things we identify the tree, we look around, we decide what is and isn't available. Is this a good idea? Is this dead and already ready to go and not rotten? Great. Uh, that kind of thing. So, it, it, it's important to consider how how much work goes into foraging um it's not regulated the same as hunting is or anything like that but there are best practices um and if i can recommend anybody across all of social media to follow about foraging uh, i believe her at is a black forager she is amazing she does urban she does suburban and rural foraging all over the all over the world and country. So, uh, but yeah, that's my high horse. <laughs> but yes, ten to twenty-five percent for conservation going yep. forward. Um, 
You want some hunting statistics here, Eric? So I want to throw out my first fate, my favorite one so far. Okay. Is, um, that this is this is from Fish and Game, and it doesn't say what the um, oh, what how much of it is uh, how how the age brackets break down, but pretty much hunting in Vermont is dominated by white old men that are only have a high school education. Really, and that is from the fishing game department. Not it is not it is dominated. Ninety one percent of Vermont hunters are male. Yes, I do have that. I have some ages here too. Yeah. The average deer hunter is a forty five year old male, and the average turkey hunter is a fifty year old male. Yep. So middle aged white men. Yep. <laughs> so um, white tailed deer is the most popular game species in Vermont. In 2022, hunters harvested a total of 17,461 deer, which included 9,619 bucks, which was a 2% increase over the previous three-year average. So, uh, wild turkey, uh, hunters harvested a total of 6,193 turkeys, slightly higher than the previous year's harvest, and the uh, uh, and the 10-year average har Oh, slightly higher. Sorry, lost my spot on my page here. Uh, slightly higher than the 10-year average. Yep, which makes sense because they uh, a lot of people saw, in, despite the, the freeze we had in the spring, uh, foraging was really good for deer, turkey, and etc. To had there was a there was a population boom the last two years. So it actually makes sense that there is a a correlation of more deer deer harvested because of that. Yes. Uh, it, same year, 2022, there was approximately 53,000 licensed hunters in Vermont. Now, and I like looking at this that we had 53,000 and right around 26,000 uh, total harvested animals. Uh, I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. Yeah, 24,000. So, you know, the success rate is pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> um, hunting generates, now, I said foraging was about 10 million and uh, uh, per year. Hunting generates about 150 million in economic activity in Vermont each yep. year. Behind the snow sports, I put right. that big air quote, snow Skiing, sport. snowboarding, Sporting, sitting in the lodge. Snowmobiling, oh, snowmobiling etc. Uh, hunting is the second largest uh, economic driver in Vermont. Wow. Uh, success rates. Success rate for deer hunters in Vermont is typically around 20%. Uh, turkey hunters is around 10%, which is mind-boggling to me because I could just sit on my back porch and <laughs> pick off turkeys if I was so inclined. Uh, I'd probably do it with a slingshot, though. Yes. Um, but yeah, and to repeat, our average uh, deer hunter in Vermont is a middle-aged white guy. Um, we know a, uh, a little spark plug of a female hunter. Uh, <laughs> and there is yes. a... Uh, which she is... Uh, she's really into it. Uh, but, yeah, she's uh, very. She got her first bear. Yeah, and I have mixed feelings on the bear now. You know because you know how I feel about bears. But yeah. um, I knowing this individual and how 
she hunts and how she uh, processes it herself and how she uses it basically from from nose to tail yep. um, I, you know I appreciate that but yes. you know if people are out doing it for sport I have a really big problem with that yes I do too as well but no she very much is unfortunately with bear meat is it's it is half the the glory of getting it because most oh, of the meat has to be ground up. Just, uh, so he it doesn't make good steak. Up. It's very hard uh, to so make. So I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about Blaze with. Orange, uh, assuming that this is still going. Uh, uh, so I am wearing Blaze Orange, and uh, this was actually made for me by a friend and neighbor. And if she sells knit hats uh, at the Vershare. Uh, shop which oh, is nope. open on Saturday I, I mornings here in Versher, Vermont. Um the gosh, looking at Eric Frozen, I tell you, if you're on YouTube, uh <laughs> so Blaze Orange is a uh, high high visibility color that is used by hunters uh to make themselves more visible to other hunters in the field. Uh this helps to prevent hunting accidents. Uh Blaze Orange is also used by other outdoor enthusiasts as uh, such as hikers and cycl cyclists to stay safe in areas where hunting is allowed. Blaze orange is a fluorescent color. If you're looking at me on YouTube, uh, this highly visible in all lighting conditions, which is fantastic, including low light and fog. Um, in the United States, most states require hunters to wear blaze orange during the hunting season. The specific requirements vary from state to state, but most states require hunters to wear at least 400 square inches of blaze orange clothing above the waist. Blaze orange is a bright, eye-catching eye -catching color that is easy to see from a distance. Um, so it's pretty obvious. This is for safety. Uh, so even out foraging in the woods, on lands where we have permission and on our own property, I wear blaze orange. Um, it's uh, just critical uh, to to be safe. So I highly encourage it. Uh, and if you're in the local area, I am encouraging my friend Rosie to put some blaze orange in the Vershare shop here at Vershare. Um, yeah. So, uh, it doesn't look like Eric's coming back, so you're stuck with me for a couple more minutes. I am going to, really quick, I got a uh, message on TikTok, <coughs> where I was talking about hunting, uh, from actually my, my, uh, my goddaughter. Uh, unless you are off the grid and, and a hobo, <laughs> there is no need to hunt. Uh, so, and, and that is coming from somebody who lives in California. Um, there is some need to hunt here. Uh, it is uh, a big staple of some people's winter diets and uh, a way to, to save money. Um, the, I don't agree with hunting for sport in any way, and I don't believe Asha does either. Um, and uh, just, you know, when you do these things, do them responsibly. Uh, and that's really what Eric and I, I have been saying along the way. Um, so let's wrap up the show. We're about at that mark. So for me, I know Eric's just been working nonstop. He's not doing anything on his homestead right now. He pretty much shuts down for the winter, uh, except for some indoor projects that he's working on uh, for indoor growing. Uh, I just uh, had the Chelsea Holiday Market. Meg and I were there selling my hot sauces and her brooms, and it was awesome. 
we met some amazing people on the customer side. We met amazing uh, crafters and makers and, and things like that on the other side of things. Uh, so it was really a lot of fun. Hey, Eric's back. So I just gave a little speech on Blaze Orange uh, and um, was just kind of talking about the homestead here, what we were going to do next week. Did you have any? Th I'm not exactly sure where you got cut off, but did you have a point you wanted to make sure got in here? Not really. Nope. I I lost. <laughs> you lost I your lost, place. I lost my place when I lost my internet connection. Yeah, my my. It started last night. My Gigaspire has been very much misbehaving. It's been just, it just drops completely. Drops the Wi-Fi. Doesn't give any internet connection whatsoever. Comes back <laughs> after like like. A couple minutes it comes back, but it is just very much, it is a very annoying thing that I can now report back of like, guess what? I have this system, this symptom that our customers have been complaining about. Yep. So they're not full awesome. Of, they're not full <laughs> Yes. My gig aspire, I, I kicked it out of rotation right away. I was having nothing but problems with it. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I have a spare one in my truck right now that I'm going to actually... I was supposed to be using it at my stepdad's house, house, which I didn't get around to installing this weekend. And there you go. He, he, can, he can wait. <laughs> but yes, I'm going to uh, take that and set that up and see if I can get it to work better than the one I have right now, which is right on. not working. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I give a little, little bit of... Uh, information on blaze orange how like most states require about 400 square inches um yep. and uh that we wear it for foraging for hiking um not just for hunting uh traditional hunting that is yeah uh, which is a very unfortunate thing that we have to require that because they're unfortunately there's a lot of hunters out there that that will shoot anything that moves which is a yes. very unfortunate practice because uh, you'd think that, like in Texas, they don't have the orange requirement. Okay. Because it's a lot of it's more, it's, there's less public land in Texas available to be hunted on. Right. Um, so, yeah, on the homestead, I'm, you are doing nothing but working these days. Yeah, I'm doing nothing but work because work, work, work. It is Vermont. This is a time when a lot of people just shut down. And yep. enjoy life, and it, especially those that rely on this life yep. of homesteading for for sustainability. They've worked the hardest, so hard over the last six to eight months that they take a break, and yep. it's uh, you know it's fully deserved. Yeah, the days um, are short. It's getting colder. It's yeah, it's a good time. I think we're looking work. at 19 degrees tonight here in Virginia. Yes, that's what they said. My form, even over over here in Sharon, they said the same. It's saying the same. It's yeah, the first real cold, cold night we've had today. Yeah, I'll be loading in a lot more wood for the evening. Uh, but yeah, I was just go talking about the Chelsea um, holiday market when you came back, and I kind of wanted to shout out a couple of different vendors that I met that were awesome. Yeah, go for it. Um, Boreal Alchemy. Meg bought some products from this woman. She's I didn't get as much of a chance to talk to her, uh, but she she's got this amazing skin products and pain products and all of these other things. And uh, Meg, who was making brooms for five hours at the market, who usually has very sore hands when she's done, put this lotion on and felt 
so much better than she would normally after five hours of making brooms. So, um, and some other people, I'm actually partnering with the Loeffler Homestead in Chelsea, Vermont, to source maple syrup for that from them for my maple chipotle hot sauce. Uh, so we're working out a deal. Uh, also met an amazing uh, individual, um, uh, Farmer James, <laughs> who is out of Lilliesville. I'm sorry, out of Bethel. And uh, we're hoping to have him on the show to sort of talk about bees. He actually yes. talked me out of getting bees uh, and with, with good explanation, but I, I would defer to the expert in the future. Um, and then uh, he at his booth was Donna Lee, who was making amazing baked goods. And um, I finally got to met, meet somebody that I've been buying meat from, uh, which is the Cedar Brook Homestead in uh, Barrie. And I, I buy a lot of pork from them when I see it in markets because uh, it's exceptional pork. And uh, finally got to meet them and, and get to know them a little bit. And it was it was just great uh, meeting the the people buying our products and the other folks selling stuff. Nice. Um, yeah. And then we've got another one coming up in Bradford, first on Maine in Bradford, Vermont. And that will be on November the 25th. Um and then, uh, speaking of November the 25th, our website with our brooms on it will be uh, active and ready to go for the holiday season. And you can you can browse it now, brokenshovel802.com. Uh, but uh, we're not taking orders there. If you need something absolutely right away, message us through the site. But um, uh, we, And we can try to help you out. But fully live and selling stuff by November 25th. Uh, that's me talking about myself for several minutes. <laughs> it's, you know, I gotta, I, as much as I love what we're doing, sometimes it's like, it's a little uncomfortable to be like, hey, look at our website. <laughs> you are more, you plug that thing away. So, um, yeah, and next week we, we came up with, we're hoping uh, it, it, that we're going to be talking with a with a uh, doctoral candidate on tick-borne illnesses. Um uh, so I'm working on scheduling that, but if if we don't get her on the show, uh, we're going to be talking about lifetime products and the advent of plastics in the world. Yeah. Um, basically, when we're saying lifetime products, we're talking about the difference between uh, the brooms that Meg makes and we sell uh, versus uh, plastic products that spend a lifetime in a landfill. Yep. Uh, so this should be um, either ticks or plastic. Ticks either or way. plastic or and appliances. I want to think plastics and Ooh, appliances. Appliances, yes, yes absolutely. Um, so either way, join us next week on Tuesday, uh, and uh, we'll be here. Eric, you have anything you want to wrap up? Nope. I'm good. 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 Um, and I hope I didn't sound too uh, confused and rambly while Eric was gone. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, hopefully the, over the first half of the recording doesn't error out since I lost connection. I'm, I'm hoping that YouTube has your freeze frame. Oh, yes. Well, it froze on my end, too, so at first I'm like, wait, did Lucas freeze? And then I looked at my little icon down at the bottom, like, oh, no, I'm frozen. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah, it started last night, and it's just like, yeah, it's, I'm going to try do try some troubleshooting that I normally do with my with customers. There you go. All right, Broken Shovel, homesteading for a sustainable future. Thanks, everybody. Later.